so we're uh, having to switch things up today. But that being said, we are back. Okay, we missed last Sunday. Um, I was very, very ill, and so now I'm feeling quite a bit better. And uh, still not 100%, but good enough to be here. So continue to pray for me. Um, but it is good to be back. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump right into worship. God, thank you so much for this evening that you have given us. Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather. Um, Lord, missing a week last week really um, made it clear how badly we need to be together. And uh, Lord, the, the whole rhythm of the week is thrown off when we don't gather together as a church. So Father, thank you that we're able to do that today. Um, and so even in the middle of technical difficulties and uh, things going haywire, the truth is none of that matters. None, none of it matters at all. You are the only one that matters. Um, Lord, all around the world, there are churches, there are groups of believers that are meeting without any sound equipment, without instruments, without music, without any of the accoutrements that we place uh, as requirements uh, on a Sunday service. And they're gathered together just with the presence of your Holy Spirit in their midst. And that's all we need. And that's what we have. We have you here among us. We have you here ready to be worshipped. And, and so, Father, I pray that everything else will just cast aside. And I pray that for myself, especially. Um, Lord, help us to just cast aside all the things that don't matter and focus our hearts only on you. Lord, as we sing songs to you in worship, as we praise you, as we lift you high, um, Lord, I pray that you would just meet us here wrap your arms of love around us and uh, Lord I pray that we would experience your goodness tonight that we would celebrate the relationship the, the covenant that we have with you um, and, and that your name would be glorified tonight we pray all of this in Jesus name Amen if you would stand we'll begin in worship
even as we step into our week, that you will bring new wine out of us, regardless of the situations we face, the situations that press and crush us, Lord, that you will bring new wine out of every circumstance in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and remain sta uh, standing and let us recite our verse for the month. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Hebrews 10, 35. All right, go ahead and be seated. Uh, once again, I just want to say that it is great to be back. Um, last week, uh, I had a hard time trying to figure out if, uh, if we were going to cancel. And um, it, it really came down to the wire. And uh, I, with everything in me, I didn't want to do it. Um, but I needed to, and so I'm thankful um, for my wife who counseled me um, to take the rest that I needed. Um, it turned out that uh, it would have kind of been a disaster if I hadn't, so um, I'm glad that, uh, that we did. So, but it's, it's great to be back. Um, I, I hope to not have to do that again. Um, so, my favorite day of the year is August First, August 1st. Every year, it is the day that I feel most excited, the day that I feel most joyous, the day that I feel most emotional. It's a day that I look forward to all year long, and it's a day where we pull out all the stops to celebrate. Um, do you know why? It's the first day of Notre Dame football season. I'm just kidding. It's not not that. Uh, that's the end of August. Look forward to that too. Um, no, the, uh, the reason why it's, uh, don't kill me babe, uh, the reason why it's so exciting is because, of course, that is our wedding anniversary, August 1st, 2009. Uh, somehow this year it's going to be 13 years. Um, she's put up with me for this long. By the grace of God, uh, we're still here. Um, and so on August 1st, we look back on the day that changed absolutely everything, August 1st, 2009. It was the day that that empress, that goddess of beauty, uh, looked upon my pathetic state and saw in her heart fit to change that pathetic state. And, and she looked at that poor little scrawny wounded bird and she said it's okay it's okay I'll, I'll take him and I'll give him a home you you come with me it's it's all right nobody else wants you I'll take you and I've never been able to say thank you enough um, I married way up you guys way 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 out of my league um, and she had no idea what she was getting into <laughs> with me. Um, the mess that I would be, and, uh, and yet through it all, she has continued to love me. Um, she's continued to be an incredible partner and an incredible friend, and an incredible co-laborer all these years. After the gift of salvation in Jesus, she is by far the greatest gift that I will ever receive in this life. Um, I remember when we were making plans leading up to our wedding. At the time, both of us were living with, uh, with our college roommates, 
and uh, we had to make a plan for where we were going to live when we got married. Uh, we didn't have much money, you know, we were both broke college students, um, and we also thought that we weren't going to be in Lynchburg for much longer after we got married, so we, we kind of needed a temporary situation. And I had a coworker at the time who needed to sublet the rest of her lease because she was moving before her lease was up. So that gave us a few months there um, after we got married to, uh, to have a place without having to sign a year-long contract. And so I worked out a deal with this girl, and um, about a month before the wedding, she gave me the keys to the apartment. And uh, so, you know, at this point, Allie and I are just weeks away from getting married, and we could hardly wait to join our lives together. And with some of the money that, that we'd received at that point, we made our first purchase as a couple, our very first purchase as a couple, and it was a big screen TV, okay? We couldn't wait to have our own big screen TV. Both of us uh, were lacking in that department, so... We had some money, we bought a TV, and we moved in that TV before either of us lived there. So for about four weeks, three weeks or so, that big screen TV was the only resident of that apartment. And sometimes we would just go in and look at it sitting in the box, and then we'd leave the TV in charge of the place. Uh, that TV is actually still working uh, here 13 years later. It's now in our bedroom, so uh, hats off to whoever made that one. Um, and so we finished out our leases over the next few weeks, and the days grew closer and closer and closer. And then finally, on August 1st, I carried her over the threshold, and we moved in together. At that point, it was all different. Okay? Before that point, we had been promised to one another we were in a relationship, we were engaged, we were in love, we were betrothed, and we were Twitter-pated. But it was different when we entered into a covenant, and then we feasted with our families, and then we moved in together. We didn't have to visit each other anymore. There was no visiting her at her place, her visiting me at my place. Uh, we didn't have to do that anymore. Now we moved in and we indwelled the very same place. And we have ever since. Through the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. And in those years, we have endured a lot. We've endured persecution. We've endured death. We've endured trauma, betrayal, deep sin. We, we've, in, we, we've had a lot of things to celebrate. We've celebrated life, children, precious memories, milestones, accomplishments. Somehow, though I didn't think it was possible, somehow she has grown even more beautiful over the years. And she's grown wiser. She's become an even more intimate friend. She has shown me love through things that I couldn't imagine anyone showing me such love, times when I deserved it the least. And so, every year, on August 1st, we have this rhythm. Every single year, we have this rhythm to celebrate. We make plans that sometimes we can't afford. We'll go out to dinner, and we'll celebrate all that we have experienced together. Um, we'll celebrate the life that we have. We'll celebrate our union, our, our oneness. 
We'll, we'll celebrate the love that we have. We'll, we'll celebrate all that we have yet in store, the, yet, the, the memories that are yet to be made, the things that we are yet to accomplish together, the ways that we have grown closer that we didn't know how we could. And we will eat delicious food and drink really good wine, wear our best clothes, and spend our best money. All to celebrate our beautiful union. We're in the middle of a series entitled, Let's Eat. And we're looking at how the feasts of the Old Testament point us to the beauty of the Gospel. And in this series so far, we have covered Sabbath, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits. Today, we're going to look at the Feast of Weeks. And here's what we are going to see. The Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the covenant between God and His people and the gift of His presence among them. The Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the covenant between God and His people and the gift of His presence among them. The Feast of Weeks is not unlike a wedding anniversary. It is a regular, fixed, annual celebration of the union of God and His people. It is a feast that celebrates when He entered into a covenant with them. It is a feast that celebrates the gift of His presence. And for us, it gives us a beautiful picture of how we ought to be celebrating the very same thing that we have in Jesus. If Jesus has saved you, you better never stop celebrating it. So, we're going to look at a number of passages in the Old Testament. Uh, that will lay out the groundwork for us. So, first, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 22. Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 22. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat as a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, it is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Next, let's turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 17. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, 
As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the firstfruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field your fruit of labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. And finally, Exodus chapter 34, verses 22 through 24. Exodus 34, 22 through 34. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. So, here we have three feasts, each of them involving a first fruits offering. The first fruit offering of the Passover is the first fruits of the barley harvest. The first fruits of the offering of weeks is the wheat harvest. And another feast there that's mentioned that we'll get to in a few weeks is the Feast of Booths. And that is an offering of the olive oil and grape harvest. Or I, I should say olives. No one harvests olive oil, right? <laughs> From the olive oil tree. Uh, so these are the three major harvests of the people. What? Yeah, I'm saying no one harvests olive oil from the olive oil tree, right? Is there an olive? Unless I'm wrong. Is there an olive oil tree? Yes, you just tap it really hard with a hammer and oil comes out. It's awesome. So each of these three feasts begins with um, a feast and an offering of first fruits. And each one of these three feasts includes a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And I want you to tuck that detail away for later because it's going to be important when we come back to this in a New Testament story. But what this means is that for each of these celebrations, all of the Jewish men were required to represent their families at the temple. So wherever they lived, they were required to gather together in Jerusalem. So for any of them and whatever families that it was possible for, they would caravan up to Jerusalem thrice per year uh, for this pilgrimage. Um, so we've already looked at the Passover in this series. And in a few weeks, we're going to cover the Feast of Booths. And you're going to see that there's commonalities between these festivals. But each one of them has some traits that make it particularly unique and important. And like I said at the beginning, one of the unique aspects about the Feast of Weeks is that it is a celebration of the anniversary of the covenant between God and his people. So, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Wedding anniversaries are joyous celebrations of a beautiful past and an even more beautiful future. Wedding anniversaries are a joyous celebration of a beautiful past and an even more beautiful future. So, let's begin by setting some historical context. Here. And we're going to lean especially on passages in Exodus. In Exodus, 
chronologically where these feasts are mentioned. It's first. Uh, we saw that there's a list of feasts in Leviticus chapter 23, but chronologically Exodus comes before Leviticus. Um, just after the events of Exodus is when Leviticus is written, when God is meeting Moses at Mount Sinai. So these things are in conjunction, Exodus and Leviticus, but the first time chronologically that God talks about the feast is in Exodus chapter 23. Uh, that was the second passage that we read. So Exodus 23 is when God introduces these things to Moses at Sinai. And understanding where and when these commands take place is very, very important. And hopefully, uh, especially for those of you that have been in this church for a long time, hopefully one of the things that you've learned is that as we approach Scripture, it is so important that we ask the questions of where, what, where, what, when, why, and how. Like, where is this taking place? What's going on in the history of this passage? Who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? What is the setting? Because so often those things give us the details that we need to glean the meaning of the passage. So the first command that God gives to celebrate this feast takes place as God is establishing a covenant with his people. Many people refer to this event as the Mosaic Covenant. This is God entering into a covenant with the people of Israel. God has just set them free from Egypt. And this is a new generation, by the way, of Israel. And so, here, God is entering into his covenant with them. And he is giving them the terms of the covenant, the agreement between him and them. So, in a sense, what we have here is a marriage ceremony. This is God marrying the people. I didn't put this on the screen, but take a look with me at chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, we see what's happening here, right? There, there are vows that are spoken, right? They say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And a covenant is ratified. The people obviously viewed this as a wedding because that's part of what leads them to do what is absolutely unthinkable in chapter 32, which is where they worship the golden calf. They have a wedding feast. I preached a sermon a little while back um, about what exactly they're doing with this golden calf. 
But suffice it to say, they're not inventing a completely new God, which is what we typically think is happening. They're not inventing a brand new God and worshiping it instead of Yahweh. What they're doing is they're trying to make Yahweh fit into an accessible box that they can control. Okay, they're putting God in a box, a golden calf-shaped box. So, God is coming to them at Sinai, and he's saying, marry me on these terms. And the people respond in chapter 32 by saying, we'll marry you on our own terms. So that's what's happening with the golden calf. But here, what we have is God entering into this covenant with them. And then, just a few chapters later, them uh, breaking it. And think about that, how crazy that is, for just a moment. God frees the people from Egypt. He performs all of these incredible signs and wonders. He leads them out in the desert, on the way to the promised land, with even more signs and wonders on the way. He enters into this holy covenant with them, and they say... We promise to do all that the Lord has commanded. And it takes them less than 40 days to break it. Like that's record time to infidelity. Less than 40 days they break it. I mean, talk about hubris. So after that, there is judgment poured out from both God and from Moses, who absolutely loses his cool. Um, he takes the marriage certificate, right? The stone tablets, the, the marriage certificate is essentially what it is. And he shatters this thing on the ground. And then he, he tells the Levites to grab all of their swords. And they execute 3,000 guilty men. And what happens next after that is interesting. God threatens to remove his presence. From among them. He tells them in chapter 33 that he is going to keep his promise of giving him the land of Canaan, but he's not going to go with them. The wedding is off. But Moses then intercedes for the people. And as Moses is interceding for the people, he asks to see God in the fullness of his glory. Moses shows faith on behalf of the people. Moses keeps the covenant on behalf of the people. So then we get to chapter 34, and God writes a new copy of the marriage certificate. And the covenant is renewed. And so as the covenant is being renewed, we have in chapter 34 the second mention of the feast. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of, it says, Ingathering. Later on, we'll see that that's the same as the Feast of Booths. It goes by multiple names. So, isn't it natural for us to ask the question, why? Why was it so important for God to set these feasts here as He is setting the covenant? What made these feasts so important? And the reason is simple. To be frequent reminders, scheduled reminders. They take place at the beginning of each season. These are reminders of the covenant, reminders of the anniversary. 
the very first thing that the people would do at the beginning of the barley, wheat, and grape slash olive season was to leave their farms and travel to Jerusalem. Listen, again, I'm not a farmer. I know very little about farming. I was joking about an olive oil tree just a few moments ago, okay? But I can tell you this with pretty high certainty. The beginning of the harvest is probably the worst time to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, especially if you live uh, a long distance away. That's the time to get to work, right? Instead, the people gather their first fruits, they leave home, they travel to Jerusalem, and they make offerings to God. As a reminder, as a covenant renewal ceremony, as a sign of devotion, as an act of trust. At the beginning of every season, three times a year, they'd come. This is built into their calendar. Once the harvest begins, we grab the first fruits and we head straight to the temple. It's an expression of gratitude, an expression of trust, an establishment of priorities, an act of obedience, and, and, it is the claiming of a promise. Um, again, in Exodus 34, verse 24, it says, I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. Don't worry about leaving your farm. I'm going to protect it. You gather. And I'm also going to extend those borders. I'm going to cast out nations. So he's saying there in verse 24, if you trust me enough to obey me in this, I will continue to protect and expand your territory. If you all gather in, I will send you out into even greater blessing. I'll bring you, and then I'll send you out to further harvest. We're going to come back later uh, to see how that's fulfilled in the New Testament. But let's establish here first that this is a promise for the future. God is saying to the people, if you are faithful to me, the best is always yet to come. Our marriage is going to be even more and more fulfilling. I'm going to continue to show you my love in greater and greater ways. So, the feast would celebrate the past and it would claim a promise for the future. Just like a wedding anniversary. I have a dear friend named Christy who is like a sister to me. Our families have been close for over 20 years. Um, and every year on March 8th, Christy posts a Facebook message celebrating the day of her salvation. So this year, her post reads as follows. Today for me means 33 years of knowing Jesus as my Savior. And I can say with absolute confidence that it is the best decision I have ever made or will ever make. His love covers me. He forgives me and shows me grace. He is merciful and I am completely undeserving. Every day I am thankful for what Jesus did to me on that cross and that he rose and he reigns. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you, thank you. You know what that is? That is celebrating the Feast of Weeks on Facebook. And she does it every year on the same day. She has a rhythm. She reminds herself. She reminds her community around her. This is the day that God entered into a covenant with me. This is the day that he brought me from death to life. Now you may not remember the calendar day that you were saved in the same way that Christy does. A lot of people can't pinpoint it down. I don't remember what day of the year it was. I remember the event. I remember the day that it happened. But I don't remember what day on the calendar it was. So maybe you do, maybe you don't. That's, that's okay. If you don't know what that day was, how can you make a regular rhythm of celebrating your salvation? Well, one way is the Lord's Supper. Every month uh, now, one Sunday a month, we partake of the Lord's Supper together. We'll gather here all in one place, all together, just like the Jews in Jerusalem. And we'll eat this meal together, celebrating what God has done for us. Celebrating all that He's given to us. Expressing our faith in all that He's going to do in the future. It is, just like we talked about before, an act of remembrance and an act of proclamation. And we're going to do that together at the end of the sermon. But that's not all that we see in the Feast of Weeks. The other thing that we see is an incredible promise of the presence of God. A wedding anniversary doesn't just celebrate the past or look forward to the future. It also celebrates the right now. It celebrates presence. So here's point number two. Anniversaries remind us of when we moved in together and our two lives became one. Anniversaries remind us of when we moved in together and our two lives became one. I talked earlier about how Allie and I experienced the merging of our lives. I moved out of my apartment, she moved out of her apartment, and together as one we moved in with our TV. We moved in with our TV and we moved into our home together and it became our home. And at that point, there was a marked difference in the quality of our presence. Not that we hadn't been in each other's presence before. We had obviously been in each other's presence many times. The difference is that now that presence merged and what was once separate now became one. It became a united presence. What we're going to see here is one of the coolest fulfillments of Old Testament foreshadowing that I think you could find. We're going to see how God was pointing forward to the ultimate story of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, there's a second very important aspect to the historical timing of the covenant ceremony that takes place here in Exodus. And that is the date upon which it took place. According to rabbinic tradition, God gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai exactly seven weeks after the Passover in Egypt. So, the first Passover takes place in Egypt, right? 
God sets the people free. He tells them, sacrifice this lamb and put the blood on your doorpost and then eat with your shoes on because I'm going to take you out. You're going to leave. And as the angel of death passes over, I will bring you out of Egypt. So, that's the first Passover. Seven weeks after that, he enters into his covenant with them at Sinai by giving them the law. That's what we're reading about in the, the chapters in Exodus that we looked at. Some refer to this as the birthplace of Judaism. But check this out. God's giving these commands about the Muadim, the, the appointed times. And what is supposed to be celebrated seven weeks after the Passover? The Feast of Weeks. So God purposely times the events of the book of Exodus with the Passover out of Egypt and the giving of the law in Sinai so that the Feast of Weeks would be celebrated on the day that the Israelites enter into a covenant with God at Sinai. Why is that significant to us? Because that means that this is not just a harvest celebration, it's a covenantal celebration. The Feast of Weeks is the appointed time to bring God the first fruits as a reminder that God has entered into a covenant with his people. It is also a reminder that he didn't pull his presence away from them. Remember that after they worship the golden calf, he, uh, he threatens to withhold his presence, even as he keeps uh, his promise of the land. This is in Exodus chapter 33, verses 3 through 4. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. So, God threatens to withhold his presence, and then, in the second half of chapter 33, Moses intercedes, and then God renews the covenant. So, he promises to keep his presence among them and reestablishes the covenant. The Feast of Weeks celebrates God entering that covenant and promising his presence. Now follow me to the next step here. Here's where, it's, here's, here's where it gets cool. Uh, let's turn back over to Leviticus chapter 23. And let's look at verses 15 and 16. Leviticus 23 verses 15 and 16. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So when does the Feast of Weeks take place? Seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath of the Passover. I know you're like, okay, dude, you just said that a bunch of times. Okay, yes, but verse 16 makes it a little bit more specific in the math for us. How many total days is seven weeks from the day after Passover? How many? 50. Now you're like, ooh, 50. So what? Well, as it turns out, there's another name for the Feast of Weeks. And I'll give you a clue. What do you call a shape that has five sides? A pentagon. What do you call a track and field event that has 
five events. A pentathlon. I'll give you that one. Okay. What do you call the day that takes place 50 days after the Passover? Pentecost. Yeah. The Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost. And I think you'll remember that something very significant happens at Pentecost in the New Testament. So turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking, saying they are filled with new wine. So what do we have here? We have the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell the believers for the very first time. And it happens when? At Pentecost. If you haven't yet noticed the incredible foreshadowing that has been fulfilled, let me spell it out for you very clearly. The Feast of Weeks, again, is when the people gather together to celebrate the day that God entered into a covenant with them and promised them His presence. Every year, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews have been gathering together in Jerusalem to celebrate the birth of their nation and the promise of God's presence. And here in Acts 2, that's exactly what they're doing. You notice there in verse 5, it says that there are Jews there in Jerusalem from where? Every nation under heaven. It, it talks about Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygian Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, from all over... And what are they doing? They are gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. They are all there to say, we are here to celebrate the birth of our nation and the promise of the presence of God. And what do they get? 
the indwelling presence of God as he births the early church. You guys, this is an incredible moment of God's relationship to man. In the old covenant, he gathered the people to the mountain. He brought them together to Mount Sinai, inviting them to meet him there. And in Exodus, it tells us that that mountain quaked, it shook, that flashes of lightning and peals of thunder filled the sky. And God meets Moses in a hurricane, in a storm. It is this fearsome, awesome, awe-inspiring moment. The God of the mountain thundering, come and meet me up here. But then we get to the New Testament and we have Jesus. And Jesus is God coming down the mountain to be among his people. And he ushers in the new covenant in which now the God of the mountain dwells within his people. And he does it on the same day. The same day. He says, I'm going to give the Feast of Weeks a whole new meaning today, y'all. I'm here to indwell. I've always joked about how I can't wait to get to heaven and meet the heroes of the faith and, and, and the conversations that I'll have, the, the questions that I'll have for them. Like walking up to Moses and being like, Mo, we got to talk, man. What was it like, dude? What was it like to be in the storm with God on the mountain? But the truth of that is that if I have that conversation, he's going to look at me and he's going to be like, nah, fam, I got to ask you, what was it like to have the God of the mountain and the storm dwelling within you? What was that like? I had to go to the tent of meeting to be with God. Your body was a tent of meeting. What was that like? And I'm going to be like, yeah, that, that was cool, right? There's no more pilgrimage. There's no more having to all gather in one city to go and present yourself to God at the temple. We are the temple. That is amazing. At that point, God moved in. He moved in and he put the TV up. There became a qualitative difference, a qualitative difference in the quality of his presence. He had been with the people. Now he moved within the people. Happy anniversary indeed. And there's another really cool fulfillment here that it would be a shame to miss. Do you remember in, in Exodus 34:24? When he promised the people, if you are faithful to gather, I'll enlarge your borders and cast out the nations before you. He, he promised them, come and celebrate the Feast of Weeks, and I will expand my kingdom to include many other nations. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? The Jews are gathered from where? Every nation. And they hear the gospel being preached to them in their own language. And in the second half of, of this chapter, when Peter preaches the gospel to them, it says that 3,000 of them are saved. 
Do you remember how many people died in Exodus 32 when they tried to control God? 3,000. So the people obey here, Exodus 34, 24, and they gather. And God keeps his promise through Peter. He sends them out to every nation under heaven with the gospel to enlarge the borders of the kingdom. Tell me that ain't good. That's incredible. The Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the covenant between God and his people and the gift of his presence among them. Happy anniversary, Lord. Happy anniversary. Dude knows how to celebrate. He knows how to pull out all the stops. So let's talk about how we make this practical. How do we take this home? How do we make this a regular rhythm? A couple of things. First, you cannot celebrate an anniversary if you are not married. Right? If Allison and I were not married, August 1st would mean nothing. It would mean nothing. It would be just another day. The reason why we celebrate August 1st is because that's the day that we got married. So, if you're not married, no anniversary. Nothing to celebrate. If you do not have a covenant with Jesus, you ain't married. He is waiting to offer you a covenant. You have the opportunity to have the God of the mountain be the God in your soul. Do not miss that. If there is anyone here or watching or listening later on the podcast who has never entered into the covenant with the God of the mountain who became the God among the people who then showed himself to be the God within, do not wait any longer. It's time to have a wedding feast. It's time to celebrate the beginning of a new covenant. It's time for God to move in and set the TV up. You may have been in the presence of God before. You may have visited God's presence in a church. You may have been among the people as his, cel- as his, as his presence is celebrated. But if you have never had that day when you have said, I am entering into a covenant with God, do not wait any longer. This is more than just acknowledging who he is. This is more than just admitting particular facts. This is more than just believing all of the right things about him. This is about saying, let's marry up. Let's set a wedding date. Let's make it today. If that is you, come on. It's wedding time. Second, for the rest of us who have entered that covenant, and we say... How do we celebrate that? Well, one of the things is, is going to happen in just a few minutes. But here's what I want you guys to do this week. Pick a night together and have your favorite meal as a family. Whatever it is. I'm not going to tell you to have steak as normal people would do when they celebrate. Okay? I'm not going to tell you to wrap that, that steak in bacon as normal people would do when they celebrate. It is up to you. If your favorite meal is Brussels sprouts, that's your favorite. You do you. Whatever it is, whatever is your favorite meal, pick a night this week and eat that meal together as a family. And as you do, 
Do it as a celebration of God's covenant with you, a celebration of his presence within you. Feast, feast and be merry and pray and thank God for changing your life. If you do happen to be one of those people like my friend Christy, who knows the exact date uh, uh, that it is in that year, well then do what Christy does. You, you circle that day on the calendar, and, and on that day, you celebrate. Have a, we use the, uh, uh, the drive-through um, uh, communion uh, things, and so we're, we're going with the real stuff this time. So I invite whoever is going to partake to go in the back, grab one of the cups, break off a piece of the unleavened bread, and then return to your seats. Uh, and when everyone is ready... Uh, I will lead us. foreshadowing of, of the great wedding feast of the Lamb that one day we'll all celebrate together in your presence. As we take this cup, as, as we eat this bread, as we do this in remembrance of you, as we proclaim that the best is yet to come, Lord, I pray that we would partake with gratitude, that we would partake with hearts that are just filled with thanks for all that you've done and all that you've given and all that you will continue to do. Thank you for this blessing, Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we proclaim your death. We proclaim the sacrifice that you have made for us, the way that you gave your life as a ransom for many, covering us so that we would be passed over, giving us grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, abundant love that we could never nor will ever deserve. We proclaim all that you have done and we proclaim all that you promise for the future that you will come back again, that you will seal the victory in the sky, that we will meet you there, and for all of eternity we will feast together. Lord, let the gospel be preached in our proclamation, in our lives, in our words, in our conduct, in our attitudes, in our interactions with every person, and even when we are just by ourselves. May the proclamation be of your death and your resurrection and the victory that you promised for us in the future. Thank you for the covenant. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for everything that you are and that you give and that you do. As we sing our closing song and worship to you, Lord, may we express that gratitude, the gratitude that we have that the Holy Spirit now lives within us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, we will now close in worship.
It is the presence of God among us and within us that we celebrate. Thank you for coming this evening. Um, again, I remind you, take a night this week, pick your favorite meal, and feast together as a family. If you live by yourself, feast together by yourself. Take an opportunity to celebrate the presence of God within your soul, saving you from death, entering into your broken existence and making everything new. And then let that be the tone of the week. Let it be what emanates from you throughout. Let there be opportunities, God willing, for gospel conversation that you can have with others based on the joy that you have in celebrating this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gifts and for your grace and most of all for your presence. Thank you for indwelling us, for being within us. God, I pray once again for any person under the sound of my voice who has never trusted in you in that way, who has never entered into that covenant. Lord, would you call them to yourself? Would you, would you beckon them, invite them into that love? Let not another day go by before they surrender to you. Let not, not another moment go by before they realize that they must marry up, do more than just believe and acknowledge, but Lord, to enter into a covenant and giving you everything. And let today be a celebration of a brand new life for them. God, for each of us, let that be the tone of our week. Lord, as we leave here, as we go into what's most important, the time that we spend with our coworkers and our families and our friends and in our classrooms and our jobs, the majority of our time, Lord, God, I pray that you would fill it with this joy. Fill our time with the joy of your presence and may that ooze out of every conversation that we have. God, I pray that you would help us to remember that the mission starts after church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.